Hi guys, welcome back to episode four of Elsa and Ria's Emergency Room Podcast. This week we'll be reading chapter five of Dr. Gowande's book, Complications, A Surgeon's Note on an Imperfect Science. My name is Ria and here I have my co-host Elsa. Hi guys, this week we're reading chapter five of the book, which is titled When Good Doctors Go Bad. It starts off talking about Hank Goodman, which is the which is a pseudonym for an orthopedic surgeon who was 56 years old and uh, he was one of the best in his field at the time. However, during his practice, he started um, going downhill in his career and um, instead of getting help right away, it just continued to get worse. And basically, Dr. Gawande talks about, interviewed this doctor and then talked um about what went wrong and what the doctor was feeling during the time and just gave us insight about basically a doctor's or a surgeon's burnout. So Dr. Goodman, he grew up in a northwestern small town and he attended a local state university and Dr. Gwande says that he was just a mediocre student and like, you know, it was aimless. But one day he just suddenly had the realization that he wanted to be a doctor he wanted to go into medicine and after that realization he became a really good student got into a great medical school and after going as a general medical officer in the air force and completing his military duty he was accepted into one of the top orthopedic residency programs in the country and uh dr goande describes how dr goodman found this to be really fun even though it was really hard work and you know it was like intense because he was fixing dislocated joints hips fractures spines etc he said those are the best four years of my life and after he finished up his subspeciality training in hand surgery in 1978 he ended up going back in the Northwest where he spent the next 15 years uh, as an orthopedic surgeon. So he was the type of surgeon who would stay late to work on a case or he would uh, pick up cases when he wasn't even on call. And so he attracted a lot of business and he was really great at his job. But then around 1990 is when things started going wrong for him. Right, so because he was working so much, um, you know, he was having trouble kind of balancing it all, which is understandable considering that he was working 80 to 100 hours a week and he did so for about a decade um, or actually over a decade. So while Dr. Goodman was um, doing a lot of work, helping a lot of people and making a lot of money, um, around $400,000 a year, um, you know, this money didn't come easy, right? He was working about 80 to 100 hours a week, and he did so for over a decade. So you can see how, you know, this would take a toll on anybody, no matter how much you think you can handle it. I just don't think it's healthy to be working that much. As as much as you may love your work, um, you don't get to really see your family and you don't have a good work-life balance. And it starts to not only take a toll on your mental health, but it started to take a toll on Dr. Goodman's performance at work as well. One instance of um, his quality of work deteriorating was in the case of Mrs. D. So this was a 28-year-old mother and uh, wife. And basically, she had um, fluid swelling on her knee. It wasn't really painful, but there was just 
often this fluid that would start swelling. And so she went to go see Dr. Goodman and Dr. Goodman told her to have surgery. And so she was getting ready for the surgery. But the week before, um, there was a minor operation done to remove the fluid. But the then when she came back, she felt very sick and her knee was now in pain. So Dr. Goodman's assistant um, looked at the knee and he noticed that it was red, hot and tender. And when he stuck a needle into the joint, there was a foul smelling pus that came out. So Dr. Guande, in his perspective, he was like, "Okay, it was clear at this point that the woman had some sort of infection and that the knee needed to be opened and drained as soon as possible. So that's like the way that uh, I guess like Dr. Goodman should have gone about the situation. But instead, Dr. Goodman was too busy, you know, working probably with the, um, you know, I don't want to give a number to it, but innumerable amount of patients that he was seeing daily. And so he was too busy and he kind of just said, you know what, to the assistant, just send her off with some antibiotics, she'd be fine, right? The assistant wasn't really on board with this completely, but, um, you know, he or she went ahead with it anyway. And so now a week later goes or a week goes by and Dr. Goodman finally drains the knee, but it was too late because now the infection had consumed the cartilage surrounding the joint and uh, the joint was destroyed. So she basically now at this point, she realizes, okay, let me go to another doctor. And this guy, uh, all he did was fuse the knee solid to stop the constant pain of the bone rubbing against the bone um but basically the damage had been done at this point so her life kind of changed dramatically with this moment because no longer could she bend down to pick up her child um you know she would often fall down the stairs her family had to move to a house without stairs Uh, she couldn't sit on airplanes properly or in movie theaters So basically, you know, her whole quality of life just changed because of Dr. Goodman's mistake here. Um, And you wouldn't even call it a mistake, I guess. It's kind of just more like, I don't want want to say maybe being lazy, but just like negligence almost to do the right thing. And so, okay, maybe you can't really call it a mistake, right? Because a mistake would mean that he thought he was doing what was best for the patient and something went wrong right but in this case it was more that he just didn't want to do the right thing because he was too busy um and what makes it worse is that dr goodman afterwards refused to admit that he was in the wrong um and so and it also wasn't just this one instance there was another instance where there was another patient who dr goodman put the wrong size screw into the patient's broken ankle and um when the patient complained of pain, Dr. Goodman said, you know, no, nothing's wrong. I know I did a good job. Um, but basically what this screw did was erode through skin. And Dr. Goodman could have just cut the screw to the size, but he just didn't want to. So, you know, maybe it's because he was too busy and he was stressed. But I, I mean, I think the general point here that Dr. Guande is trying to show us and that we should just be able to realize on our own is the fact that that doesn't make it an excuse for you to just do nothing like if you feel like you're too stressed you should recognize that hey um i need to see less patients so i can give better quality of treatment to these patients so dr guande doesn't outward 
directly come out and say that. Um, but that's kind of the general sense I got. And something I wanted to talk about here was, do you think that Dr. Goodman should have known to be like, all right, hey, let me stop. And, you know, before we start talking about what his colleagues could have done, I think on his part, do you think he should have been like, um, you know, I need to just or why? Actually, let me rephrase my question. Why don't you think he said, let me stop working so much? I think um, you mentioned the money, right? He was making 200000 initially per year. And then when he pushed himself to handle as many cases as not even that as he could because he wasn't handling them properly, but as many as he took on, he was making double the amount. And so I guess monetarily, monetarily is that a word? I guess money is definitely a factor. Um, and besides that, uh, I think he also probably liked being the guy who can just take on as many as possible, like way more than his colleagues and still get it done, even if it's not done correctly. And when you have such a high number of cases, one patient having difficulty is like such a small percentage, right? So then maybe you just learn to focus on the bigger number of people that you actually helped instead of the people that you end up hurting, even though in medicine, you can't really cut corners like that. Yeah, I think it's still like, they said that he was still harming more patients to the point where it was something to talk about so I feel like at that point it should have been like okay I can't just focus on the positives even if they do outweigh the negatives I think that there's still more negatives than there should have been you know even if he was making mistakes and I think you're definitely right about like money must have played a role actually no maybe not money but I think that it was more him just not knowing how to stop like he gets into such a rhythm um, you know, being doctors, you have to have a good and hard work ethic. So I think he just probably thought that, you know, this is his life, this is normal, and there was no way for him to back out of it. And so one note that I wrote down is that this perfectly speaks to this shortage of healthcare workers and how if maybe he had someone to fall back on, like a colleague who he could recommend for some of these patients then maybe he would have felt more comfortable denying treatment or, you know, just like uh, pushing it to someone else. So you're saying you felt like you feel like he probably felt that he had to do all this, like he was the go to guy. And so it was his responsibility or he was slacking if he didn't take on this many patients. Yeah, I think it's more that he himself, like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what's like the best example. Like even in our our like school career, it's like we get so used to just constantly being busy and constantly having something to do where it's like um that's all you know and so you feel like if you're not doing the most, then you're not doing something right. And there's no kind of no way to get out of it. Like you should definitely be busy. There is no breaks for you, so you just keep going. Yeah, I think I definitely relate to that. Like, when you have free time, I've noticed, like, uh, winter break, if I ever try to just not do anything school-related, it's like, oh, well, I could have done this, you know? You don't and you don't enjoy the time that you have off. So maybe that's how he was feeling. Especially since he, maybe he felt like he needed to, like, support his family. 
Well, I don't know about that. I feel like 200K is probably well enough to support a family. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, I don't even think, like, because like you said, the money's good, but, like, when you have enough of it, why do you need... I mean, but then that argument goes back to, like, um, more people in business where you can look at anyone and be like, hey, don't you think they have enough money? Like, why do they keep going? But it's like, I guess the Wolf of Wall Street is a good example where it's just like, once you get a taste, it's like you just keep wanting more. Um, And I'm like surprised that he actually sat down to do this interview. Like, I know he didn't give his actual name, but maybe someone could probably figure out who he was, especially if the college and everything's listed, right? Um, So it's good on him that he's learning to recognize what he did wrong. But um, the influx of patients, you said like he's taking on so many patients at one point. Dr. Guande wrote that he was taking on about 40 patients and he was spending not even five minutes talking to them. So imagine getting a major surgery like a hip replacement and the doctor not even talking to you for five minutes about what's going to happen. And then your hip just dissolving because that's what happened to one of the patients. That's insane. Yeah, and then in my mind, it's like, okay, well, maybe the patient should go see another doctor. And it's that's easy for us to say because we live in a suburban area close to New York, I guess. I mean, I think, I don't know if the viewers know we're from New Jersey. But um, so, like, you know, everything is just so accessible to us, like so many doctors around for any kind of, like, doctor you need to see. But then you think about more, like, I don't know what, where he practiced um if it was still the northwest area um or midwest area but you know if there aren't many doctors available in some of these rural areas then you can imagine how patients really don't have a choice even if they feel like the doctor isn't giving them the attention they need i didn't even think about that before actually um yeah we're pretty fortunate to be in an area where you can literally run to anybody but if he's like the best bet and if he had such a what's it a history of being such a renowned doctor, I can see why people still kept going back to him. So yeah. Yeah, that's true too. The um the record he had probably was propelling his career even more. Yeah. So initially, it just started off with a few patients here and there, but when it really started picking up and it seemed like Dr. Goodman just didn't care about what he was doing because he was uh, doing unnecessary surgery or not doing the proper surgery or not doing a procedure properly, um, people started reaching out to him and they call this the terribly quiet chat. And so basically, um, colleagues or other people would pull him aside during Uh, a cocktail party or drop by his house and express their concerns about what was going on with him and his patients. Some people were like pretty kind about it and just inquired about what was going on. Other people were just straight out told him what you're doing is completely bizarre, which is Dr. Gawande's words. And this is a quote, the scary thing is I wouldn't let my family members go near you. So imagine a doctor telling you, telling another doctor that they wouldn't send their family to you. That's a pretty big insult, right? This continued, but there was really no change to how Dr. Goodman acted. And um, people started seeing how dangerous Goodman was becoming. His nurses, his uh, junior physicians 
and other people, just the other staff started seeing how he was causing problems. And one of his physician assistants actually started covering for him or just taking on a protective role, as Dr. Blondie says. And so basically, um, when uh, Dr. Goodman would have like 40 patients that he runs through in a day and not even spend five minutes with, Dr. Goodman's physician assistant would stay back late after his hours and follow up with each patient, sometimes even changing the thing that Dr. Goodman did for him, like changing the treatment plan. In the operating room, it says that the physician assistant would try to nudge Dr. Goodman in the right direction, asking if a screw was too long or if the hip looked okay. But he says that regardless of how much he tried to help, there was still a lot of unnecessary surgery. And at one point, he was even steering patients away from Goodman, as Dr. Wande wrote. That's a Directly paraphrased from his book, the final straw was when Dr. Goodman started skipping the morbidity and morality conferences that they hold in the hospital to talk about where there could be improvement. Because of uh, Dr. Goodman's recent record of uh, having high error rates, he was often a reoccurring issue in in the morbidity and mortality conferences. And so when he started skipping them, it was pretty apparent that he just stopped caring about what he was doing or had no intention of fixing it. And that's when people decided to confront him head on. This resulted in him being put on probation. And even through all this, he still took on more patients and a year went by and he finally got fired and his operating privileges were suspended. Uh, So yeah, he basically kind of went into this hole or this place of depression as we'll see in a little while but um he kind of didn't know what to what to do with himself for a little while or this is what i thought was interesting uh for a little while he still put on his suit every morning and headed out to what his wife thought was work but uh you know who knows where he was really going but basically he couldn't bring himself to terms with the fact that he really had just been fired from his, I would say, lifelong passion uh, when you're working, you know, 100 hours a week. Um, what do you do now with all that time? I don't think he had an identity. And th- this is what Dr. Guande says. Um, as many physicians do, he did not have, or I'm saying this grammatically incorrect, but basically uh, he did not have an identity outside of medicine and work. And Dr. Guande says that's the case for a lot of physicians, which makes sense when you're working so much and, um, I think, like, in general, even us, like, we take pride in uh, becoming physicians. So it makes sense that it's, like, a huge part of even our identity as, like, saying we're pre-health students. But anyway, um, so it makes sense that he kind of just lost who he was and fell into this, like, even larger sense of depression than he probably was experiencing even uh, before getting fired. Uh, One thing I wanted to kind of talk about, though, was... uh, I personally wondered why it took the hospital so long to fire him because, um, you know, it says the problems really started in 1990 and then, uh, he stopped showing up to the M&Ms at, uh, what year did they say? 1993. Okay. 1993. So, you know, um, 
up until that point, like he's causing these issues. Maybe they don't have concrete evidence. Maybe the colleagues are just uncomfortable with reporting him. Um, but then even after he stopped showing up to the M&Ms, it took until 1995 when uh, they suspended his operating privileges. So and at this point, like even when he was like not showing up to the M&Ms, uh, it says that he was the hospital's most sued doctor, which means that he was causing the hospital money, costing the hospital money in these litigations. And yet he was apparently not like really uh, affected by it. And it's amazing to me that the hospital, even after losing so much money, as I can imagine from these litigation cases, um, even after all the money that Dr. Goodman was costing them, they still didn't seem to want to fire him until the very end. And I don't know if that's because he had such a great record as being a great doctor. Um, but I just like, you know, thinking more to the business side of things, it's hard for me to grasp my head around the fact that like a hospital would not just like immediately want to fire someone who's costing them a lot of money as dr grande says he was the most sued doctor in the hospital i think maybe it's because they just protect their own until they just really can't protect their own maybe it got to a breaking point where the litigations and everything um it was just like giving the hospital itself a bad rep because why would you protect someone if it was affecting everybody else at the hospital and maybe those physicians got maybe those surgeons i mean got annoyed that less people are coming to the hospital because of one doctor right so you're saying like maybe just that that makes sense like at a certain point enough is enough and you just can't protect your friends anymore yeah especially when you try to help someone and they don't even bother uh trying to get help for themselves maybe there was just like a breaking point yeah, and I thought it was interesting how, like, I know it's, like, and uh, by no means am I saying this decision is easy because it's, like, on the one hand, you don't want to rat your colleague, um, your friend out and destroy his career, right? You don't definitely don't want to do that. But on the other hand, it's, like, you're a physician, you're, uh, you're the people's people, like, you know, you made a vow to do no harm, and yet by letting this physician who you know is doing harm kind of keep going... It's kind of like you can't help but think it's like indirectly causing harm to patients. So I think it was interesting how like there's two sides of the story where I feel like the colleagues really kind of had to like, I mean, it was definitely they were in a tough spot. Right. But it's also like they were causing patients harm as much as they were trying to get around it. Right. It's still like at the end of the day, causing some patients harm, which is unfortunate. Two months after his suspension, Goodman got another malpractice lawsuit. And it was for a farmer's wife who had an arthritic shoulder. And basically, he put in an artificial joint, but the repair failed. And basically, that was his last straw. And he he had nothing. And yeah, so it just seems like his problems that he created just kept following him. And that was definitely a burden on the hospital, too, which is probably part of the reason they finally, you know, said this is it and let him go. But yeah, that just reminds me of like all the lessons we learned last season with Dr. Osterholm and how there's really a balance between the economics of society as well as medicine and I mean in last season's case it was public health but even if you look at it in terms of um, healthcare 
and hospitals like you it's kind of like they're notorious for looking out for themselves and uh having to think about the financial aspect of things and so that's why i found it hard to believe that um they like immediately didn't want to fire dr goodman if it was costing the hospital money like in a perfect world we would like to think that they're not money oriented but uh judging based on everything we talked about last season um it seems that they would just be thinking of that first and foremost so that's why i thought it was surprising that they didn't fire him it's probably because um he's just so renowned and like how can someone that good just go downhill within three to five years so maybe but actually three to five years is a long time so if it's well known that burnout is a thing because I'm sure they knew that was a thing then why didn't they try to intervene a bit more yeah that's true too you expect your employers to kind of look out for their employees uh okay so I think that's a good segue into burnout because that's what was happening to Dr. Goodman and so, essentially, Dr. Gwande now changes the tone a little bit, uh, and he goes from more of this narrative style of Dr. Goodman to the idea of burnout in medicine in general. So I think that's it's more known today, um, just because, like, you know, we're progressing, society's talking more about mental health. But I know that every, like, virtual shadowing session that, or not every single one, but, like, definitely you hear it often, where they're talking about how burnout in medicine is a thing, um, very real thing. And I thought it was, especially the part where Dr. Gawande talks about the uh, alcohol and drug abuse rates among doctors. Uh, I remember hearing about that at a virtual shadowing session and how um, a lot of doctors struggle with, uh, I guess, like mental health issues and substance abuse abuse issues. And so, I mean, it made sense that this was happening, especially like, I mean, what do you expect when someone's working that much a week? Um, so, yeah, I guess Dr. Gwande kind of shifts it now just to talk about burnout in general and how uh, doctors are people too is his like uh, main idea here and how you expect them to just like be perfect all the time be able to take care of us but I think it's interesting uh, and something I've I've kind of thought about more recently is that like how are you going to take care of your patients if you can't take care of yourself so it's like when doctors are experiencing burnout they should get that help that we were just talking about um, before it starts costing their patients' lives and affecting their own life, of course. So then Dr. Gwande starts talking about this specific psychiatric uh, clinic or, like, practice in, uh, what state was it in? Minneapolis, right? So um, it was at Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis, and uh, it was this psychiatric uh, program that... I don't know if it's Dr. Neff or just Neff is what Dr. Gwande calls him. So aside from the more common issues that Dr. Neff saw in some of these patients, which would be like anxiety, depression, substance abuse, he also saw instances of schizophrenic doctors, uh, doctors with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, And then there was also a, quote, family physician who is known to take young male patients out alone for dinner and in one instance on vacation with him. And he turned out to have compulsive fantasies of sex with pubescent boys. So you have a lot of different doctors coming to this 
uh, psychiatric practice with all different sorts of mental health issues. And basically, I think the idea was great where Dr. Neff wanted to focus in on treating this population that people tend to associate with being strong and self-sufficient, but that's not the reality of it because they're human beings just like anyone else. Um, and thus, like, you know, their, their issues should be acknowledged because they're also responsible for another person's life. So definitely people should be paying attention to this. And um, so, yeah, basically Dr. Neff at the end of the week would determine whether the patients were fit to return to work or whether they need to take some time off and then maybe eventually they'll get to a point where they could come back or if they were just needed to stop. And um, so, I mean, first, do you want to say anything about what you think about this idea? I think the idea itself is good. Like, it's great that uh, it's acknowledged that doctors, just because they're healers, can't have or can have problems on their own. Um, I feel like I never think about a doctor getting sick or when I do, I feel like it's not really a big deal and mental health awareness and problems that aren't necessarily visible or treatable with, uh, medicine or like medications, um, that's not really addressed or it wasn't really addressed before and now it's slowly starting to get addressed like Rhea said. Uh, so I think it's really good that they have a facility to help doctors with problems that are stigmatized but should be addressed so that they can continue doing what they're good at. Yeah, and that's why it's a shame that uh, later on in the text we find out that uh, the hospital, this Abbott Northwestern, I think, um, they defunded his program, which I think is a shame because I think there definitely should be something like some kind of rehabilitation program. And one of the reasons is like you can see how big of a difference this program made in Dr. Goodman's life. So following his suspension, Dr. Goodman was feeling suicidal. Uh, Dr. Gwandi writes that one day he was sitting in his basement den and he had a gun in his hand and he was contemplating suicide. And he said, I'm going to just read the quote. He knew how to do it so that his death would be instantaneous. He was, after all, a surgeon. So he had the power to kill himself, and he was at that point. But then in 1998, at a medical conference, um, he saw a book or a presentation um, called 200 Physicians Reported for Disruptive Behavior by Dr. Kent Neff. And basically, it was what Rhea described. It's a small program to help hospitals and medical groups that trouble doctors. I'm reading directly from the book. So basically, Dr. Neff had collected data and he found that doctors weren't recognized to be dangerous until they had done some damage or until they had screwed up and it resulted in something that the hospital couldn't avoid looking at. Um, this means that a lot of doctors are troubled. They have a lot of mental illnesses, addictions, etc. but it's not addressed until something actually goes wrong. And Dr. Neff wanted to change this. And so he made this program in a Northwestern hospital. So basically, uh, doctors came to him and Dr. Neff tried to help so Dr. Goodman called Dr. Neff and Dr. Neff told him to make a trip down to where Dr. Neff was located right away. 
And after a meeting for an hour, Goodman said he remembered that he could breathe again. So it, it felt like he was like relieved after talking to Dr. Neff. And he checked himself into the program that Dr. Neff offered, which is like four days and four nights. And he paid for this out of pocket. Um, and I think they mentioned this specifically because earlier they had said that the hospital usually sends people and pays for the recovery. But because he didn't have a hospital backing him up anymore, he had to actually pay for it himself. And I think that shows that he was finally recognizing that he really screwed up and he really had to get himself together in order to continue being a physician. So following this, Dr. Goodman listened to Dr. Neff's suggestion about checking to a psychiatric hospital and did this and he was put on medication. And, you know, slowly he started getting back to his former self. And although his old hospital wouldn't take him back, he found a smaller hospital that he could work at or smaller practice he could work at. At the end of the chapter, Dr. Goodman and Dr. Gawande meet up for a meal in town and then they go to, back to his old hospital. And initially, Dr. Goodman wasn't going to go inside, but slowly he just decided to go inside. Dr. Goodman and Dr. Gawande met up for a meal and decided to visit Dr. Goodman's former hospital. And Dr. Goodman actually went inside the hospital with Dr. Gawande. And he was greeted by a lady at the information desk who was like, I haven't seen you in so many years. And she slowly caught on that he hadn't just retired, he was let go from the hospital and Although there was awkward silence and it was obvious that Dr. Goodman felt it, it was, it, you know, passed. And eventually when they left the hospital, Dr. Goodman said, I'll be back to the lady at the desk, which is just showing how he had the passion to come back to the hospital that let him go. Yeah, kind of like a happy ending where he has gained his confidence because of this or regained his confidence because of this program that Dr. Neff ran and um, he was just ready to kind of make amends with himself with the career and uh, hopefully get back to doing what he I think definitely loved event at, at some point and just kind of lost that love as um, the work aspect took over the passion and love aspect. So basically, I think this chapter was talking about how you can be the best of the best and still have problems that need to be addressed. And if you don't address it, the problem can snowball into something disastrous. And especially if you're a doctor in the medical field, uh, you have lives that depend on you. And so it's if you feel burnout or if you feel unwell it's best to just take care of yourself first so like how are you supposed to help someone else when you're not good yourself yeah yeah exactly so i think it's just acknowledging the fact that doctors are people they go through uh, a lot of different issues that everyday people go through um sometimes more often i think that was the statistic he gave that like uh, quite a bit of doctors face burnout and have these um, mental health issues or substance abuse abuse issues compared to 
people in other fields of work or other lines of work. And so it's kind of just acknowledging that, you know, it's not easy. Um, and we should kind of just be more respectful towards those who are struggling. And I guess that, that's just a fact of life in general. You know, anyone dealing with mental health issues, um, just kind of empathize with them. And that means doing so for people you wouldn't think would need it, but they do. Um, so that's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you later. Bye.